Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Thank you so much, Josh, Emily, for sharing that scripture. Uh, And thank you so much, Josh and Jerry, for being part of that panel. Uh, Today, we're going to discuss this whole thing about cross-generational relationships. And so I really, really am grateful for their advice and input. It really adds to this discussion. Well, a few years ago, one of... Okay, let me stop for a second. It wasn't just a few years ago. It was actually more like 20 years ago when I was in high school. (laughs) Well, 20 years ago when I was in high school, just getting into high school, uh, I really built a really fun relationship with this one girl and she was just so sweet and really cared about her. And a few years go by and all of a sudden I notice one day she's really sad and I'm like, what's going on? What's happening? And she starts telling me about what she's doing with her uncle. She's writing love letters to her niece. You see, her uncle was dying. He had cancer just in his mid-30s. He was a young guy. And she was helping him write letters for every year he wouldn't be there. Writing letters for the milestones in life of graduating eighth grade and high school, college, getting married, her first baby, and more. And these were letters that she could cherish, knowing her father loved her, remembered her, and cared. You see, God does that same thing with us. He wrote a love letter to us in the Word. And in particular today, He wrote a love letter to the children of Israel. There in Deuteronomy 6 that Emily and Josh read, you begin to catch these words. Hear, O Israel. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. And he goes on to then share more and more and more about what he values and what he wants for them. It's powerful. Now, you see, the thing is, God here is also really sharing his advice, speaking into their lives. Sometimes, though, we don't listen. We don't really want to hear what God has to say. Well, guess what? This letter that they're reading, they're hearing, is a letter they're getting for the second time. You see, God gave them the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, but again, that was the second time He did that. He gave it to them the first time almost 40 years before, but because they didn't want to listen, they had to be in the wilderness, wandering, learning, growing, dying off. You see, God needed to reiterate to them, guys, I need you to get this. If you want to live your best life now, listen to these words. Wow. Listening. Listening is powerful. But listening when it's cross-generationally is tough. It's really hard. I was on the Q&A with Pastor Randy and Jamie Stadola, who's a marriage and family therapist, member of our church. And on the Q&A, a question came in from a really frustrated mom. She said, 
I just can't get through to my son. He's a big know-it-all. He just doesn't want to listen to me. And Jamie and Randy gave some great advice. Oh, it was key things to hear. And then in the comment box, then someone else responds, I don't understand why my parents are such know-it-alls. They never listen to me. They're always giving me their advice. It seems like the generations just don't want to listen on either end. They don't want to hear each other out. They don't want to take advice and they don't want to listen. Something is just broken here, isn't it? Broken like my arm. I broke my arm. Do you see this? Ah, oh, I didn't take the advice of my father. You see, every time I would go on a trip, he would always tell me the same thing. Philip, please be careful. Be careful. Don't go anywhere dangerous. And then he would end with this. And remember, safety is number one. And there I go, breaking my radial ischial fracture of some kind. And it's a mouthful. And it's also a mouthful of what I got when I flipped over the handlebars. I sure enough hit and bam, landed on this wrist and fractured it. Things are broken in life. I should have listened to my dad's advice. He's a man of wisdom. I missed out. And here I am today with this broken arm. Things get broken when generations don't listen to each other. Things get really, really broken when we think about faith in generations. What do I mean by that? Well, if this COVID crisis has taught us anything, it's taught us to think about what's most important in life. It got me thinking about what's most important. We had our first child and we're expecting a second one. And sure enough, there I was at the feet of my dad again, just kind of pondering what's most important. I said, Dad, what's the most important conversation you should have with your children? Without skipping a beat, he looked at me and he said, Philip, without a doubt, it's about faithfulness to Jesus. It's about seeing your children love the Father and how you can have that relationship with Him. It's the most important question. Will our children follow in the faith that we so desperately love? It's a big question. You see, Jesus here, prophetically speaking, through in the Old Testament, I want to just read now the whole text to you and let's jump into this. Let's, let's figure out what it means to really listen to really good advice. What does it mean to really hear what God has to say in this? And what this might have for us when we talk about cross-generational conversations, but in particular, those about faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by your way, when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on the frontlets of your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. Let's just go back to the very first word itself. Shema. That in the Hebrew means hear. But now before you think it's just here, let's break it down a little bit because here is all over in the Old Testament. Psalms 27, 7. Hear, 
here, here. But it's not just the kind of here that you think of. It's, it's, it's a dual reality. You see, when the word Shema appears, it, it literally means listen, but also remember the covenant. Remember to keep the covenant. It has this twin coin, if you want to say. There's a heads and there's a tails. It's about listening, hearing, but it's also about doing. So when God here says, hey, listen, and then believe in, and then act for, and trust the Lord your God. Trust the one, Israel, the one who was named, renamed from Jacob, the one who wrestled with God, the one who brought you out of the wilderness, the one who took you out of those hard places. Listen to me, trust me, believe me, and act in the way that I'm calling you to. It's really tough when you think about, for instance, some of your friends, maybe you're a young adult who've walked away from faith. And maybe you're a parent and you know some of your children aren't sitting next to you today, uh, tonight, in the morning when you're watching this. They're not experiencing the kingdom like you are because they've chosen to step away from that. It's painful. It's hard. It's lonely as well. But how do we ensure that those conversations of faith go on to the next generation? How do the most important things go over to the next group we want to see fall in love? Whether it's a friend, it's a child, it's a romantic partner who doesn't believe as you do. How do those generational questions emerge and find success? Well, it's interesting. It all comes from what you value. You might have heard that book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And in the book, he kind of begrudgingly puts down his poor dad in some way, who happened to be a PhD professor. And he says, he never really taught me or even talked with me about money, but my rich dad did. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And he goes on and explains the book and why money matters and this and that. But what I want to go back to is, why did he kind of diminish his professor, father in the humanities. Why did he put him down? It's because he didn't value that as much. He began to value finances more. You see, when we don't value the same things, it's kind of hard to have a conversation, isn't it? It's kind of tough. You've seen that in the recent weeks and months. People with very drastically different values, screaming, talking, arguing with each other. But what happens when we can come together and say, even though we don't share the same values, can we experience something harmonious and healing together by at least talking about it? So right from the outset, I want to tell you what the point of my sermon is. Can I do that for a moment? You see, for faith to be passed on to the next generation, there simply at least needs to be a conversation that takes place. But many times, the two generations don't even want to sit at the same table let alone hearing what the other has to say. So I'm going to give you a few ideas that I'm going to convey to you for a moment coming from this text. You see, going back to verse 7, it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. This notion of diligence is a persistence, but it doesn't mean a nagging persistence. I know some parents who nag their kids all the time about things of faith and religion. Here, there's this kind of, in essence, this wisdom. Diligently teach them. 
Diligently encourage them. Diligently speak into their lives. Now I know so many parents who cried with me and talked with me and said, Philip, I've tried to talk to my kids about faith. Not only have I tried now, but I've tried for years. They walked away. They're not in this anymore. There's a few things to keep in mind. You might be the best parent in the world, or you might be somewhere in the middle. I want to share with you a few kind of statistics that come out and emerge as we think about some of these things. Listen to what a Princeton professor has to say uh, about this. Robert Wuthnow. He writes, we provide daycare centers, schools, welfare programs, family counseling, colleges, job training programs, and even detention centers as a kind of institutional surround sound until young adults reach the age of 21. And then we provide nothing. Whoa. Schooling stops for the vast majority. Parents provide some financial assistance and babysitting, but largely keep their distance. And even the best congregation-based youth ministries or campus ministries no longer apply. Yet nearly all the major decisions a person has to make about marriage, child-rearing, and work happen after these support systems have ceased to function. This is not a good way to run a society. No matter when a young adult wanders, they experience stress and confusion, worry that they are not capable of behaving like adults, and they delay settling down and often make bad decisions about jobs and money. This is not a criticism of young adults themselves. They do the best they can in the absence of much of the assistance and support. You know, the reason why sometimes we can't have faith conversations is because we're not there for our kids in all the other conversations. When you've earned their trust, when you've earned your friend's trust, about all the other issues in life. When it comes to the most important things, when that trust bank is built, you can speak. But it should always first start with listening. Now I want to listen, list out to you just one more thing. You see in this book that uh, some of our pastors have been reading, it's called Faith for Exiles. Five ways for a new generation to follow Jesus in digital Babylon. Worthwhile read, a little bit statistical. So if you struggle with that, just listen to the cliff notes here for a moment. What the president of Barna Research Group, who wrote the book along with Matt Matlock, they said the following things that I think are really important to keep in mind. They said that one-third of young adults feel deeply cared for by those around them. Did you catch that? One-third only feel deeply cared by those around them. Another one-third say that someone supports my dreams and hopes. Only one-third? And then 34%, literally another third, say, I feel able to accomplish my goals. There is no scaffolding for the building of what's taking place in this next generation. Parents, schools, churches have literally stepped back. You're 21. You can do it. Figure it out. The conversations stop. The blessings stop. The relationship stops. I was in a small group, mixed group, that you might have heard about just a little bit ago in the sermon. And one of the guys in the group said, you know, I really don't know that many young adults. We were talking about a project, wanting to help young adults, and 
I just don't know them. You see, when it comes to a congregation, the first step is literally just, hi, hi, my name's Bill, what's your name? We don't even take the time to say hello. You know, we moved to America in 1989 from Europe. Different customs, different culture, different place, different language, food, everything. Well, my mom walking through the campus where we were at a school, university setting, she sees one of her professors and she's like, hi, and he says, hey, how are you, Ella? Good to see you. And she stops because what did he say? How are you? In her mind, he's initiating a conversation, an older professor with a younger student. She stops, and instead of he also stopping, he keeps going. She literally recounted to me that she got kind of teary-eyed. She thought something was wrong. She did something. But in reality, different generation, different culture, different mindset, didn't even stop for that to happen. Second thing is, not only does it start with an introduction of just simply a name, but then it takes time, number two. You see, the idea here is teach them diligently. This notion of diligence, this kind way of kind of going through explaining faith and journeying together takes time for the conversation to happen. If it doesn't work the first time, don't give up. I remember. One of our small group members who was in his 90s said his son had walked away from faith, but he was encouraged because he didn't give up talking to him about things, just all kinds of things in his life. Even though they didn't agree about things of faith, he said his son had warmed up to the discussion. That is exactly what happens when you continue the conversation. If things don't go right once, you have to persist through it. And guess what? Then not only is there a conversation of listening mutually, then there is this action that emerges as the text, Shema, this dual coin, listen, but also do. We can interact with each other, labor together in ministry. We can do much for the kingdom when we know one another's name, talk persistently, continually, and then we act together. Imagine a congregation where young and old, different generations, cultures, languages, some of you Filipino out there, some of you speak Tagalog, now try and connect with a person from Kenya who speaks a different language, now connect with someone else in your congregation who's this. This is the beauty of culture, ages, everyone in there together, persisting, to not only know one another, not only conversing together, but then doing the work of the kingdom together. I love this book called Medical Evangelist by Ellen White, someone who many of you know in our Adventist church, and she writes this quote just about this reality of, of how we can be in partnership together. She kind of speaking to those in the field of medical missions, she says this notion of kind of coming alongside, working with, but not just working with others, but working with Christ. And that's really important, and I'll tell you why after I read the quote. The evangelization of the world is the work that God has given to those who go forth in His name. They are co-laborers with Christ revealing to those ready to perish His tender, pitying love. 
God calls for thousands to work for Him, not by preaching to those who know the truth, going over and over the same ground, but by warning those who've never heard His message and known about His mercy. So why is there this beauty in this partnership with Christ? Because He too is in our family. Ephesians clearly speaks out that reality when Paul says we have been adopted into the family and we are co-heirs with Christ. Meaning if you're an heir with Christ, heir is kind of a word sometimes you don't hear, but it's like you're a sibling with Christ. He's your brother. But likewise, this means the generations of differences, ages, cultures, realities. We're all siblings. We're all in this together. That means your child, who's 30 years younger than you, is your brother and sister in Christ. That means that person that used to sit across the aisle from you that was way older, he's your brother, she's your sister. You're in this thing together. There's this reality now that emerges when we are born now of the Spirit, this born-again reality. Why? Because you're born into something new, something shared. Now we have a shared reality, a new shared foundation. Now we can call each other family. So imagine how to bridge the conversation and cross generations and all the differences they have. First, it's a name, hi. Second, it's the conversation. Third, it's this persistence to realize once the conversations happen, work on it together. And then fourthly, it's this notion that you are the same. You are family. There doesn't need to be this notion of cross-generation anymore. Now it's unity. Ephesians chapter, chapter 3, or Galatians 3, there are now no differences, no divides among us, no male-female, no age who's older or younger, no slave, no free. Now it's unity in one thing. The bridge is divided, has now been brought together. Because we are so much more connected than we think. But it takes time for us to engage in that. Bless you, God bless you, God bless you. But, I ask you this. What are you going to leave with the next generation behind you? You might be a young adult. What are you going to leave with those behind you? You might be in your mid-30s, a young professional. What are you going to leave with those college students? You might be in the mid of your life, in your 50s. What are you going to leave with those behind you? Or young parents not knowing what to do. You might be in your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. We might have a centurion watching too. What are you going to leave with those behind you? What's the prayer, the powerful prayer you're going to leave with those behind you? This text, Deuteronomy 6, is one of the most important prayers of the Jewish people, the Shema. It is such an important prayer that they say it morning and evening. They encourage their children to memorize it. All Jews on the face of the earth know this prayer. And they want their children to know it. They want faith to go on to the next generation. They diligently teach their children. And I'd like to say that diligence is by conversation by listening, by engaging, by working together. Eight, 1945, May. There in the south of France in a monastery, it was made known to several Jewish rabbis who were made chaplains. 
they were told there are Jewish children in this monastery. They, going down there, wanted to actually say, not only will I acknowledge that they're there, I'm going to bring them out. We're going to take them home. Once they got to the monastery, they were met by the priest who said, I'm so sorry, you cannot take these children without documentation to know which ones of them are Jews. The priest, unsure of what to do, confused. They said, I have an idea. And one of the rabbis told the priest, we'll be here in the evening before the children go to bed. And as they got into that dormitory space where all the children were, some who had been there since 1939, all of a sudden one of the priests loudly proclaiming, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And immediately, some of the children who were in that dormitory covered their eyes. For when they would declare this prayer, they would always close their eyes, proclaiming its beauty and its truth to the God who was with them, who was for them, the God who they would trust with all their heart. These children had inherited a faith that they had internalized deeply within. What does the proverb say? Teach a child while they're young, and they will not depart from it. Friends, I want to encourage you. Keep communicating in spite of your differences in age. Communicate because there's power. The different generations need one another. Please don't let the exodus of the young continue by simply neglecting to be in their lives. Starts with the mediocre things of just simple things, and it can move to the most important questions. So now I tell you, may God bless you.